I want to say this because I feel like the Lord is trying to do something significant at Redeem, and I do not want to back down from this. We are in this sermon series, and we have been for the last couple weeks called The Way of Jesus. We have been going through the book of Mark. If you're new here, we've been going through the book of Mark slowly, which is a good thing. And we're saying, hey, this is what our life is supposed to look like. If we are going to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, if we're going to say we are following in the way of Jesus, then we need to study Jesus. We need to look at what he says, and we need to do what he does. One of the challenges is, is that American Christians in particular, we live in a culture where it says that it's acceptable to be half in and half out. We say we're disciples of Christ, but our lives do not look like it. We say that we want to follow in the way of Jesus, but we don't necessarily live it out. And so I want to make sure that in this room, that the most important thing before I jump into the text is that we understand that you are a disciple of Jesus, which means that he is your teacher, he is your rabbi, he is your leader, he is your Lord, and we simply take this position. Lord, guide me how you desire me to go, because this is getting serious times, people. And so one of the things that's really hard is that so many of us in this room can be half in and half out. But when we look at it biblically, that's nothing in the Bible. You can look at the Hebrew scriptures. You can look at the New Testament. You can look at anything half in, half out. He spits out, okay? And so we just need to be very careful because the spirit of the Lord is trying to do something in this room, but there's a cap. I really do feel like there's a cap. And so when we look at the way of Jesus... We're saying, Lord, I want to look at you deeply, and I want to say that you are my Lord and that I fall in your ways. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I just had to say that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your spirit convicts and your spirit encourages. Wherever in this word, your word, as we jump into your word, Lord, will, it, will your spirit just convict, will just nudge us to what the truth that we need for our own personal life and where any of us are feeling lack, any of us are feeling uh, like we don't have enough, any of us that are feeling confused, would you just encourage us? Would your spirit both convict and encourage, Lord, as we jump into your word in Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're jumping into Mark 6 and we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. And what we're gonna see is that there's two important concepts for the life of the disciple. And two of those things, are to teach and do. If you are a follower of Christ, there is this level that we are called to teach and we are called to do. Now, one of the things that's very, I want to make sure that we're clear on, teaching has became a thing where we think that's stage. We think that's like, I'm teaching, right? That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that there, you will be speaking of the ways of Jesus and you will be speaking the truths of God. You will be teaching people, and at the same time, you are going to be doing the stuff. I love this. We, each of us, are called to do doing the stuff. Not the paid staff, not the elders, not the advisory council. All of us are called to do the stuff of the ministry. Can I get an amen in this room? We see this, so let's jump in. Mark 6, 30 through 33, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away from, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. 
But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, Jesus, it was not a couple weeks ago, but in our study, it was a couple weeks ago, Jesus sends out the 12 and he sends them out on a short-term mission trip is the way to think about it, okay? To do the things of Jesus and to teach. He's called, they're called to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God, to pray for the sick, and to, while you're at it, come ahead and cast out some demonic in people's lives. That's a big call, but it's this short commissioning. And what we see is that they come back and they want to share all that they have done. And Jesus begins to debrief them. I think of this, if I was that person, if I was a disciple, it's like when, if you have kids, especially in the elementary age, like I do, it's like coming home from elementary school where it's like story after story, they're interrupting each other, and it's like, I need to tell you all that I've done, I need to tell you every story, whether it's rever- like relevant or not, I need to tell you every story. And, then, and Jesus, I hope, or I picture, he's fist pumping them. He's encouraging. He's really excited about what's happening. And we're going to see for the disciples that this is the first commissioning, but it's not the end for them. As a matter of fact, it's in some ways just the beginning. And so as followers of Jesus, this too is now our life. As a follower of Jesus, we live a life on mission. Until we get to heaven, our call is the same to teach and to do the stuff. Now, I say this over and over again. You, if you live in this area and you claim to be a Jesus follower, you are a missionary and one of the most unreached people groups in the entire world. This is our call. This is what's exciting. Now, the exciting thing is, no offense to my friends and family back in Indiana, but they worry about us West Coasters. They say, oh my goodness, is this going to hell in a handbasket? And I'm able to say, no, the spirit is moving in a profound way. God is moving in the churches. There's some exciting stuff that's happening. The fruit is coming, and we are missionaries here in the Pacific Northwest. Amen? But we also see this, that Jesus gets it. And what he gets is this, that we're all tired at the same time. Missionary life is hard work. And so he sees that they're tired. He's like, you've been traveling a ton. Just in general, if you're doing everyday ministry, if you're in a role where you're doing ministry, if you're in a role where you're working with people a lot, you get tired. It's okay that you get tired. And he says that there's some daily pressure of doing this thing together. And Jesus invites the disciples to come away and to go privately with him. And so they hop on a boat and they head to a deserted place. And it sounds idyllic to me, if, if you don't mind. I've been going hard. I would love, love, love to hop on a boat with Jesus and just go get some rest time by myself. Can I get an amen in this room? Who is there with me? I want a boat and I want to go to the mountains with Jesus. All right. But I'm also thinking of this like ski boat, jet ski mindset, because I don't know how this works, but there's like this major headwind or something. So these people arrive on foot ahead of them. They know where he's going and we see over And over and over again, particularly in the book of Mark, we see this, that people are just longing to be in the presence of Jesus. And that day, just like right now, there are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people who are sick. There are so many people who are on the end of their rope, and they're just like, I just need to be with Jesus. And so we see this, 
that their planned rest is interrupted with people longing to be with Jesus. And Jesus responds differently than I would. I'm just going to be completely transparent. I would be like, come on, just give me a little bit of me time. You got to get it. Amen. Life of a disciple is hard. Do you ever feel that? Often we're looking for rest. And if you are in the game of loving and ministering people, you get one more call or you get one more piece of bad news when you're just ready to sit down and watch some Netflix. And we see that people do desperately need Jesus, but instead they call us. Is that all right? Can you feel that? And if I was a disciple, I'd be a little bit annoyed probably. More crowds, more crowds that somehow Usain bolted it over to the place that I was going and showed up before me. And we see that Jesus responded differently. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We see Jesus felt compassion, not annoyance. Jesus sees the crowd. He sees the massive numbers. But we also see that Jesus somehow sees deeper inside of them than just the crowd. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying they see the numbers. He sees something deeper. He somehow sees their pain. He some see, somehow sees their lack of understanding. He somehow sees their confusion or their worry or their anxiety or whatever it is. Jesus sees them. And what we see is that he has compassion on him. Now, what's interesting is this word compassion here. It literally means from his guts. From his guts, he has compassion on them. There is this kind of Jesus, this kind of compassion that Jesus has that doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't. Jesus is able to have spiritualized, he's able to see things differently than we are. And out of his guts, it says, he has compassion on them. Out of his almost inmost being, he has compassion on them. There's a depth to his compassion that we cannot produce in ourselves that only Jesus can produce in us. And we commit our lives to following the way of Jesus, we can just begin to see people with that same level of compassion, the way Jesus sees them. Specifically, Jesus sees them first for their spiritual condition. That's what he's seen. He looks at people and where we look at people and we judge them based off what they're wearing, what, they're, what they look like, what they might say, what they might do. Jesus looks at him and he says, I see their spiritual condition. Because Jesus is seeing it. And it, does, it doesn't say that they, he sees it with uh, condemnation. It doesn't say that they, he sees it with shame. It says he sees it with compassion. And we see God throughout the story has compassion on the aimless and the wandering. He, he understands the aimless and the wandering. That is a people group that he understands. And we see this deep inner emotion led him to the next statement, which is so significant. It says he had compassion on them because why? Pulled up because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, uh, if you were in men's group last uh, yesterday, you're going to get a double dose of this because John did an awesome job and he went deep into uh, the Lord as the shepherd. And so I got back from my trip 
And he's like, hey, here's what I'm preaching on for men's group. And I said, uh, here's what I'm preaching on this week. <laughs> and it's like beautiful. But not many, not everyone's here. So we're going for it. But uh, it was an awesome teaching. And, and men's group, just so you know, men's breakfast, awesome time. If you want to get into the word, John brings it. And it was an amazing time. But we see that there's this uh, important nature of God. And that's the shepherd. This line is referring to Ezekiel 34. God charged the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The rulers of the people of the time, they, they were leaders that were kind of creating a mess. And what we see is that they didn't serve the people. At the time, the leaders were getting wealthy off the common people. And we see that they didn't view the flock uh, as a thing that they were supposed to protect. Rather, they looked at it as a, a way to just get richer themselves. And, and so we see this, that the, the people who were supposed to lead, who were supposed to shepherd, instead they're doing everything that's opposite of a shepherd. They view the flock differently and they treated people terribly. And a shepherd who was supposed to lead his sheep to food, that was supposed to protect them from a tr- attack, we were supposed to care for the injured sheep, the, the ones that were supposed to find the lost sheep that was going awry and they were supposed to go find them. They instead ruled them harshly and brutally. And God gives this promise to the people, Ezekiel 34, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and in the mountain heights of Israel and will be like their grazing land. There, there they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Jesus saw them like a sheep without a shepherd. He, this, this, this prophecy uh, years ago, he's saying, I am that. I see you like a sheep without a shepherd. This is what Jesus fulfills throughout his life. Unlike the shepherds of the time of Ezekiel, Jesus will come with compassion and he will come with care. Jesus, when he responds compassionately, we see that he is saying, this is who God is. Now, the same language that God gave to Ezekiel to call out the corrupt shepherds of Israel, we also see that uh, that language in Mark 6 is like Isaiah 53, 6. We all, it says, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all over And over and over again in the the story of God, we see how God often describes the human condition. And this is how he does it. At one time, we were like sheep without a shepherd. We did not have it figured out. Now, what do we know about sheep? 
They naturally travel together. I don't know if you, has anybody, any shepherds in the room? Because I'm going to look like it. Oh, hey, we have one shepherd in the room. We have one person that has, a, that has sheep, apparently. Well, now I feel insecure. <laughs> I just did it from studying, but we naturally see that they travel together. So if the lead sheep, uh, the lead sheep turns off the path, if there's no shepherd, if the lead sheep goes down into a dangerous ravine or something, all the sheep are going to just follow them, right? And we see this, like all sheep do from time to time. If the other sheep uh, follows them and they go into a place of danger, it doesn't end well. And they're not the smartest animals in the bunch, but neither are we. And many of us in our lives, we see the world, that we see in our own lives and we see in the world, we oftentimes see sheep without a shepherd or we find ourselves in a season of like, I'm a sheep without a shepherd. And we go any of the way that the wind blows and we go any of the ways that the world leads us and we go any of the ways that we see other people going and we're like sheep without a shepherd. What we see is that Jesus saw this crowd as those who had gone astray. The very essence of sin is us going our own way instead of the way of the Lord and God saying, I am the shepherd and I'm going to lead you, but you have to follow and Jesus sees us as sheep with compassion. We were all called to be in a relationship with the shepherd. Now, when I was back home, I was so blessed to be able to go back to my grandpa's funeral. And I say this to my mom's face, so I'm not gossiping here. And I give her a hard time for this. And I've said this from stage before. But my mother, and I hope this isn't stepping on toes, but my mother loves words with signs on them. Does anybody ever know that? Like the Hobby Lobby words with signs on them. Like matter of fact, if you ever get like a news article that like a Hobby Lobby's robbed in Indiana and it's only taken were signs with words on it, it would be my mother who did it. Because it's like, it's hundreds if not thousands of words. I, I sat there in the, in the living room and I said, mom, I don't know what to do because there are so many signs telling me conflicting things. I did not know that the place with the refrigerator and the stove was the kitchen unless there was a sign that says kitchen this way, right? And so you see this. I don't know if anybody has that, but it, like their parents have this. But my mom, I'm sorry, mom. You know I love you. She watches every one of my sermons. She will roll her eyes at that. But I was, as I was writing my sermon sitting in this chair in the living room, I was writing and like there... Out of them, it feels like 25% of them are some sort of reference to Psalm 23. The Hobby Lobby, they're making a killing off of Psalm 23, amen? Like, it is crazy how many signs are still in Psalm 23. And, and it's this psalm that everyone knows. When you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling worried, like, you know, Oswald was saying this, like, this is your go-to psalm. Yesterday we were in men's group, he's like, this is your go-to psalm if you're feeling anxious. We all know these verses. Let me read it over to you. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Someone needs to hear this new today, though. I really do feel that. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Just believe that. Part of it's believing that. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup 
overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Many of you were even saying it as I was saying it. And I think there's an amazing parallel between Mark 6 and Psalm 23. John talked about it again at Men's Breakfast, and we're talking about this, but we he was saying, I think this is the first time that the Lord's actually called the shepherd. David does this, and this is the first time that he's called a shepherd. And 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 we we know this, but it, I don't know. Besides uh, Patty, I think who has has a sheep farm. Apparently, uh, you, there this shepherding is hard work. Shepherding is really really hard work. You would say, Kurt, how would you know that? Well, I actually have some experience on the sheep farm. I don't know if you. I always have. If it's a farm, I have some sort of experience. When I was growing up, randomly, there was a family that had a sheep farm. I don't know if that's what you call it. They're, they're, I guess they're still shepherds, but they had a sheep farm, and it was idyllic. It was, it was a, a red barn, and they would have hundreds, if not thousands, of sheep. And there were white picket fences and, and all that stuff. And my mom and, and dad always made me go work on these farms out there, even when I was really young. And so we see this that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but... It's kind of really an awful way of living. Like farming in general is a really hard way of living. But I would go over and I would help them feed and I would help them shear the sheep. I'd have to hold the sheep while they sheared them. I'd get like the sheep bucking me with their back of their legs. And I'm like eight at the time. I'm like the size of Abe. A couple of things from my, my memory. Even with modern day farming, with barns and fences, shepherding is awful. It really is. Time after time of visiting, I never once grew up thinking, I think shepherding might be a thing for me. <laughs> Little did I know that he'd be like, hey, you're going to leave the church, and now it's going to be like, every day you're going to have to do this. It's a, it's a 24-7 job. They, they can't leave. Like, they, they have no free time. They can't vacation any time they want. They, they have to be present. The shepherd has to be present. The shepherd has to be available for a sheep. The shepherds also begin to smell like their sheep. No offense to this family, but they were not the less smelling. The, the pig farmers were like one step even further, but like you knew when the sheep family came into church. Like if you grew up in the Midwest, you know what I'm talking about. The sheep family, you sit three rows behind and two rows over to the side because the sheep family's coming in. It's true. Think about this, though. The God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, the one who created everything, is saying, I actually don't have to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to shepherd you. I'm going to do all this hard work. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to start smelling like you. I'm going to get in your mess. Some of you need to hear this. If you don't feel it, the Lord is in your mess right now. You may not feel it, but he's saying, I'm the shepherd. I am leading you to green pastures, you lack nothing. I'm willing to do this for you. The God of the universe who did not have to says, this is who I am. He's saying, I'm one of the worst professions that anybody could do. When I was uh, working at Starbucks, I managed uh, a Starbucks when I was in uh, college. And uh, whenever I worked my shifts, I was the shift manager. And I would always clean the bathrooms because I knew that if I cleaned the bathrooms, no one could complain about any other job that they had. And so this was my leadership style. I said, I'm cleaning the bathrooms. 
You do everything else, but you can't complain because you're not in there cleaning the bathrooms at 11 p.m. at night. And, and the God of the universe is saying, this is, the, this is what I'm willing to do for you. I'm willing to be a shepherd. I, I'm, I am the leader. I am the God, the Most High, and I get into your mess, and I'm willing to be there with you. The Lord is my shepherd. We see this. How does he respond? Because this is really interesting. How does he respond to sheep without a shepherd? Read it 634 back to it. It says he began teaching them many things. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus' first response to the people was to begin to teach. Teaching is Jesus' compassionate response to the directionless crowd. That's how he does it. This, the crowd receives compassion, and so how he sees it is he sees compassion, he sees them aimless, he sees them wandering, and he says, I'm going to give you an extension, extensive lesson on the kingdom of God. This is the only thing that I really can do for you right now. It's so funny because we think of Jesus uh, uh, so often doing the miracles and all that stuff, but he's saying the most important thing for you, the most important thing for you sheep without a shepherd is that you understand the kingdom of God. If you understand the kingdom of God, everything flows from that. And so he teaches them. He puts the priority of their spiritual needs. Spiritual ministry is his priority. I think it's true of us as well. We can read Psalm 23 and we say, okay, I, I want to lack nothing. Okay, I want a resting place in the green pastures. I, I want to be protect, protected, but Look at David, how he describes the Lord, Psalm 23, 3. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides us. He teaches us the way. He leads us through right paths. The truth is, if you are aimless, if you are wandering in this room, many of you may feel that right now. Many of you may feel that right now. You won't find rest. You will be lacking. You won't have peace. You won't feel protected until you stop searching for meaning in yourself and in the world. And instead, you find rest and protection and meaning in the shepherd. You can try it over and over again. I left the Lord for years and I tried. And I found myself aimless and wandering even more. The shepherd is the one who does it, and he's going to teach you these things. If you're dealing with aimlessness and wandering, sit with the Lord. Try it. Sit with the Lord. Get into his word. Get plugged in. Sit under uh, teaching because the human condition is this. The human condition outside of the Lord is this, aimlessness and wandering. You see it over and over again. Many of you have family members. I have family members that it's like, dude, you are like a sheep without a shepherd. I see it so clearly. Stop wandering. Stop being aimless. The Lord is the only one who protects. The Lord is the only one who gives you rest. The Lord is the only one that leads you to green pastures. That is the only way that you find meaning and rest and peace. And you can keep trying, but you're going to be keep falling the sheep into the ravine. And I'm sick and tired of pulling you out. <laughs> if you are a disciple of Christ, this is our call to, to look at people in our lives who have spiritual needs and to teach them the kingdom way, not the world's way. Many of you feel insecure about that. 
that's totally fine. We're gonna we're developing together. It's hard. There are there are questions that you might get asked that are just hard. There are things that could be asked of you that you're like, oh, oh I'm in above my head. But the truth of teaching the kingdom of God, the truth of teaching the ways of God, is the most important thing. Because if not, even if it's just a scratch of the kingdom. These aimless, wandering people, if they just get a taste of the kingdom, it instantly helps them understand who the shepherd is. We have to teach people the truths of the kingdom. Now, if you see the rest of the story, you see that there's teaching and there's doing as a disciple of Jesus. And I want to say this, the miracle of the kingdom of God involves you. I love this about the story. I love this about the story. Mark 6, 35, let's start there. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Thanks, Jesus. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. I would respond like that. If anybody else would respond like that, raise your hand. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Very rational response. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the where? On the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was, was 5,000. Jesus sees the spiritual needs of the crowd. And here we see the, the disciples see the physical needs of the crowd. Like there are physical needs that are just, these people are going to starve. After a long day of ministry, they tell Jesus, they think that they should send the people away. Very practical thing to say. Very practical thing to say. They're in a desolate spot. Who knows how long the villages are away? Well, I guess they're close enough that people could run there. But, but they need to get to the villages because there's about to be a traffic jam at the Chick-fil-A in Chipotle. Do you ever know that? <laughs> like if you hit when the bass lets out and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to wait for my Chipotle for 45 minutes. That's what they're saying. They're saying this is what's going to happen. You're, gonna, you're creating a mess here. So they look at the crowd, and they look at their money, and they're like, we have a problem. 200, like, like, like two years or half a year's wages. Like, I, I don't have that anyway, but even if I did, what would happen? And see, we see this, that we are to look at him as our resource instead of looking at our bank account. Jesus asked how much food they have. In G this, Jesus is making a judo move. He's almost encouraging them to be discouraged at their lack. This is the hardest thing about ministry. I feel with leading a church, Jesus is like, I'm actually going to encourage you that you are discouraged, that you don't have enough. Because when you do that, you're going to rely on me, not on your practicality. I want to rely on my practicality. You want to rely on your practicality. Just trust me on this. But sometimes the Lord calls us to the unpractical thing. And he uses this as a way to say, look past your limitations and look to me. 
If you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a uh, person who's like, I'm going to have a ministry, I'm going to proclaim the, 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 the name of the Lord, I'm going to do the stuff, I'm going to do the works of the ministry, over and over again, you'll be faced with this. At the edge of uh, uh, total embarrassment, really, in some ways. The Lord's going to call you to this. Faith is coming to the edge and saying, I actually don't have enough in my bank account to feed all these people. I, I don't have the skill sets or the words to say to, 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 to proclaim the kingdom to them. I, I don't know how to pray for the sick. I want to pray for them, but I don't know if the Lord's going to come through. And the Lord's saying, don't look at your bank account. Don't look at your limitations. Instead, look at me. Part of the life of the disciple to do this stuff is to look beyond our limitations and look to them, and he, Jesus involves the disciples in the miracles. If you are a follower of Jesus, many of you in this room have been for years, you will partake in miracles in some way. Some are like instant miracles, and some are like you look back and you think, whoa, look what the Lord did. Look at what the Lord did. Everyone plays a part in the ministry. And we step into Jesus' abundance in the ministry. Psalm 23, 1 is the same for us as well. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In his abundance, you lack nothing. If we look at our bank account, if we look at our pockets, we're like, uh-oh. But he's saying, I, you lack nothing when you're with the shepherd. In, in Mark, it says everyone is satisfied. They are no longer sheep without a shepherd because they have Jesus. And Jesus calls us into caring and loving for each other. We get to show the shepherd to others when our ministries are happening. In Jesus, we lack nothing. And the 12 baskets of leftovers are hard evidence of a miracle. He didn't, everyone was satisfied and there were 12 baskets full. Jesus does the unimaginable, but then he calls his disciples into the unimaginable at the same time. This is an amazing thing about Jesus. He does the unimaginable, and he says, and you're going to participate in the unimaginable. Many of us are scared of that. Many of us, because of practicality, because of how much money is in our pockets, because of skill set, because of whatever it is, we never even get close to that edge because we think, control freak, I'm going this way. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of me, you get to participate in the unimaginable. Can I get an amen in this room? Because, man, the Lord wants to do something in this church. But if there's a cap, he's not going to. And that cap for us is faith. It's scary. This is scary stuff. I want to acknowledge that. That like, again, the disciples are just pointing out the obvious. Hey, these people are hungry. We've got to get them to the villages. Let's get them out. This is a very practical thing. We can do it orderly. We can do it whatever. And he's saying, what do we have? Because I want to do something that's unimaginable. I want to end here, but one more thing. Because I think if I was a disciple in my selfishness, I would just be trying to figure this all out. I'd still be hung up on, man, I just can't get some rest. I'd still be hung up on that. I'd be like, this is, 
Like I just came to the mountain. I just came to this desolate place to just rest for a little bit. And still now I'm like finding five loaves and two fish. But this line really fascinates me because in the middle of our missionary life, we too find rest. Mark 6, 39, let's throw that up. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. This sit down term literally means commanded them to recline. He's saying, go recline. Now, why is, what's the importance of recline? It's to relax, it's to rest, but it's also reclining was the position that you would take if you were invited to a banquet at that time. Reclining is actually a pretty significant word here. It, it, it looks like a glorified picnic, but he's saying this is a banquet. Jesus is saying this is actually a banquet of what I'm about to do. And, and what we see is that in this, on this hill, in this desolate place, we see green grass, which would have been really rare in the place that they were. And Jesus calls them to sit down, to recline together in green grass. Psalm 23, 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus almost foretells the story of the Last Supper here as well. It says that he takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. Then he gives the provision to the people. In all of this, he's sitting people down and he's saying, you are no longer sheep without a shepherd because I'm here. And we find rest in the green pastures. Now, what's interesting is that one of the hard things of being a disciple is that we can hear the word banquet and we can get into our heads what a worldly banquet looks like, right? We want the finest everything. We want to sit down at the table. Mother's Day tea is going to be a banquet, right? Am I right? We got fine china. Everyone's dressing up. I think even the guys who are serving have to dress up. I don't know. I haven't asked yet. And Jesus is saying, on this hill, I'm going to give you the Lord's banquet. And the Lord's banquet is this. You don't have enough. You all are aimless and lost. You don't know what's going on. Recline. I'm going to teach you the things of God, and I'm going to provide for you everything that you need. You lack nothing. I bring you to green pastures. Recline with me. Sit with me. Jesus is saying, sit with me. Sit with me. Let me do the unimaginable. Some of you have things in your life that are unimaginable. You don't have a way of thinking of how it's going to end up for your good. Sometimes it's from choices that we've made. Sometimes it's from things that have happened to you that you have no choice in. And when that happens, some of us choose to be sheep without a shepherd, no matter how much the shepherd is calling us to just lack nothing and to sit at green pastures and to rest in them and to have your cup overfloweth. 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children, because they would not have been listed, got not only some, but had enough to be fulfilled. They had enough to be satisfied. Psalm 23, 5, my cup overflows. And the disciples took up 12 basketfuls of leftovers, more than they had begun with. And the abundance 
is this image of divine bounty. This divine bounty that Jesus wants in your life. Broken marriages, divine bounty is what he, what he wants. Pain and suffering and hurt and abuse and whatever, whatever it is that you have in your past. The Lord's saying, I am your shepherd. Come to me. Sit with me. Get into my word. Just be with me. Because I want you to lack nothing. I want to lead you to green pastures. Psalm 23 is so significant. Mark 6 is so significant. I really want to make sure that we don't hobby lobby it to death. I'm dead serious. Where it just becomes this trite thing that's on everyone's wall. Because what he's saying is so significant. Enough significant that multiple times Jesus over and over and over again says, I'm the shepherd. You see it. Only through me, only through Jesus can you experience these things. If not, you're always going to lack. If not, you're never going to feel protected. If not, you're always going to feel meaningless. If not, you'll never find that rest that I desire you to have. Band, come on up. I'm going to, everyone just bow their head. I'm going to pray for a couple of people in the room. I think there might be a couple of people that are aimless and wandering. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, forgive us for acting like a sheep without a shepherd when you're sitting there as the shepherd. A shepherd who promises everything, who says, I'm not like Ezekiel 34 shepherds that, that corrupt and, and lead, me, lead you into danger and steal your wealth and treat you badly. Instead, I am a good shepherd. And my promise is that you will lack nothing, that I will guide you, that you will be safe in my presence, that I will never let the thief into the, into the flock. And yet still some of us still choose the aimless wandering path. If that's you, just ask the Lord to forgive you and declare that he is the good shepherd and that you want to join his flock. Some of us feel inadequate to do the stuff that when I talked about the miracles and the participating in the things that, the, that God has for us, that they actually got nervous or they disbelief or they felt, you know what, I, that would never be me. Lord, forgive us for any time that we've fallen short in our faith of what you wanted to do. Lord, we pray right now in this house for miracles. We do. We pray for healing. We pray for broken relationships. We pray for salvation for people who are so far from you that they thought they never would. We pray for the addicted in this place, Lord, that you would break them, that you would be like the good shepherd. Just, Lord, that we would come and that we would lack nothing. And, Lord, that we would, as a body, 
believe even when our pockets are empty, even when we need rest, even when we're tired, even when we don't know how it's going to go, that we would walk out in faith because you, Lord, are moving in our midst. And when Jesus is in the room, everything changes. Lord, we praise your name. We lift you higher and higher in this place. Thank you for leading us into green pastures. For many of us who've been following for years, Lord, we know what that feels like. Living water, lacking nothing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.